Welcome to the Reinventing Education podcast. This is a podcast for anybody who is interested in reinventing what education is. I'm Rob McLeod, as always, joined by Brendan O'Leary. Morning, Brendan. Hi, Rob. So right now, you and I are in the process of running montage episodes. This is like those episodes of Bugs Bunny and Tweety that would annoy me as a child where there'd be a few moments of new content and then they just flip to uh, to content from old episodes of Roadrunner getting the best of the coyote. But really, this is us tying our narrative together. How's that for an intro? Those are my favorite episodes. Those episodes of Friends where they were cutting all the montage scenes. It's like a greatest it's true. hits. It's Come a on, medley Rob. of all the best stuff. It's kind of what you and I are working through right now. It's We've had this podcast almost a year now, and it's kind of like it's taken us 365 Earth days to figure out how to say what the hell we've been trying to say. And I think we've, we've more or less got it now. I agree. I also agree. First part, anyway, the first going through these values, the aims of school, took us a while, several iterations. I think we're able to say it fairly concisely. The last episode, we went through those three aims of school. And what's on the plate for today, Rob? Well, last time we talked about the three aims of school, we introduced or reviewed the four values that we see influencing education. And we've given them updated names. So if you have been someone who's been with us before, um, the names are probably just synonyms you'll be able to follow along. But just to be clear, we're saying that the four values impacting education are security, achievement, inclusion, and integration. So we've talked about the three aims of school, the four values, which we've just named there. And now we're going to review and remix our understanding of the quadrants, uh, which is one of the other pieces of the map that we're kind of using to help us navigate through what the reinventing of education could look like. So shall we get into talking about quads? If you were to go looking for education, where would you find it? Kind of a philosophical question, but like, what are we actually talking about when we talk about education? So Brennan and I, we kind of believe that some aspect of education is to be found in each of the four quadrants that we're going to lay out here. These are like four different perspectives on what education is. We often talk about education like it's one big thing, but really it's made up of several distinct parts. And the quadrants are going to help us to unpack what those parts are and look at each. So if you go to the dictionary, education is defined as the process of receiving or giving systematic instruction, especially at a school. So the receiving or giving of systematic instruction, especially at school. But to talk about the process of receiving or giving systematic instruction at school, we need to separate it into its parts. And doing so is both practical and we see as necessary if we're going to reinvent what education is. So there's an old story four people who are blind or blindfolded, they're touching different parts of an elephant, and they're asked to describe what an elephant is like. So of course, each person is touching a different part of the elephant's body. So each of them have wildly different descriptions, even though they're touching the same elephant. And these quadrants that we're looking at, they kind of help us to have a more holistic view on a subject by ensuring that we are discussing the different parts of the elephant or the different perspectives on the same thing, but it unites them together. And this ensures like a holistic or complete conversation on a topic. So to create our four quadrants, we use interiors in the left-hand column and exteriors on the right-hand column, individuals on the top row and collective on the bottom row, giving us four boxes between the different variations of how you could put those things together. So we have the interior of the individual in the upper right box, 
the interior of the collective in the lower left box, the exterior of the individual in the upper right, and the exterior of the collective in the lower right. So let's explore each quadrant to see how it contributes to having a more complete discussion about education. And we'll begin with the quadrants on the right-hand side as they represent the aspects of school we most commonly think of. So Brennan, if, if someone's unfamiliar with the quadrants or hasn't heard of this concept before, it's probably helpful at this point to check our website. We'll have a little picture of the quadrants up there to help you visualize it. Quads, why are we using this as a tool to approach a subject? You've started to use these in your own teaching practice as well, right? Yeah. When you first began introducing integral theory to me, I thought it's some kind of weird cult. It, it was a slow you... four-year burn to win you over. <laughs> we were talking about writing a story, hero's journey story with our kids, and you were like, there's this quadrants idea where... You look at the individual's in interior, their thoughts and their feelings. And I was like, okay, well, that makes sense. And then we look at their actions and the objects around them. So the exterior of the individual, okay, that makes a lot of sense too. The lower left, the way we describe it is it's relationships and it's the speaking that happens between the characters. And then we have those externals, the times, the places that happen in the stories. Essentially, I use it to this day to write stories with my kids right from grade two up to grade six, seven. If we stay on the left-hand side of the quadrants, that upper yeah. left, the interior of the individual, often we use like the pronoun I to capture that. In the lower left, so below that, you have the collective of the interior or the interior collective, and we tend to use we to describe that. And then grammatically, it gets a little bit funny, but on the right-hand quadrants in the upper right, for the exterior of the individual, we tend to use the it pronoun, the it perspective, a third-person perspective. And then in the lower right, we don't really have a specific word for this in English, but we could say it's, like it's sort of the collection of those things in the upper right. So the upper left, the interior of the individual, the I, that's a first-person perspective. Lower left, collective of the interiors, interior collective, that's the we or the second person perspective. And then essentially the right-hand quadrants are kind of the third person perspective split between in the upper right focusing on individual pieces and then in the lower right looking at it, but from the perspective of a systems or a more like kind of ecosystem or that the whole is greater than the sum of the parts in the lower right. And We've found that these four things, they kind of arise with any topic you are discussing. Everything's embedded or enmeshed or can be analyzed through these four quadrants. And when you introduce this to students, whether in the writing context, like you said, or to focus on how in school traditionally, of course, we're coming from at least one of these perspectives when we do any kind of project or any kind of research, but by making these four quadrants explicit, you can go back and ensure that you're approaching a topic or studying something from all four perspectives. And to me, providing students with a much more holistic engagement with whatever topic you're looking at. Yeah, and we dug into this a few episodes ago because we've only recently brought this to the table in terms of our discussion. But what is key is that if you are going back to the elephant metaphor, if you are describing the same situation from four perspectives, 
it's probably smart to find out what the other three perspectives are that you may be not seeing or saying. It may be that you're actually on the same page, more or less, and you can come to some compromise um, or you're speaking about completely different things. And that's important to know. I advise going back to episode 20, checking that out. What we'll do is we'll run through here as we are now trying to bring those quadrants into a school context so that we can move forward in this this season using this terminology alongside those aims of school and those values. So now let's move through each of the four quadrants. We'll put the okay. word school in the middle of our four quadrants, just like we had an elephant in the middle of the four blindfolded people touching it. Let's touch education in four different ways in these four different perspectives and kind of answer this question when we if we want to know where education is to be found or where do we find education, let's use the quadrants to answer that. So do you want to start with the upper right, the old exterior of the individual? So beginning with the upper right, which is the exterior of the individual. And what we say here is that education is to be found in our activities and resources. That is what is being done and with what. So we are individual people who do things that you can see in the world, and we carry out these activities making use of resources. One area of the actions we take is the activities themselves, the things a person has done. So we could look at any of the activities of any of the individual people involved in education. So we're looking at teachers, students, parents, administrators, and really anybody that plays a part in that, in that system. We can look at their behaviors, their practices. We can look at the lessons a teacher gives and the work a student does, the kind of support a parent gives. And we can take any of these and we can observe and measure the actions in many ways. Now, another area would be resources. Those are things that can be used by a person or an organization in order to function. So basically all the stuff we need to do those activities, the stuff required to do what needs to be done within school, within education. So these include materials, all of the hardware, technology, the people, so the teachers, the classroom assistants, all pastoral care, anybody that plays a part within school and education, the money, and all the way down to the level of minutiae, like the pencils we use and the insecticide used on the school lawn. Okay, so um, so Rob, the upper right, the exterior of the individual within education, how would you explain that to somebody who is new to this concept? I think just starting with that, if the idea of the quadrants is new to you, you might be sitting there kind of like, what are these guys going on about? <laughs> like The activities, the resources, that's, that's not what we're talking about when we talk about education. I think when you listen to the next two, three quadrants that we still have to introduce here, I think you'll begin to see the connections between all of these and how when we talk about education as being one thing, what we're actually talking about is education across these four quadrants. And we're going a little bit further to even make a little bit of nuance or distinction within each of these quadrants. So to talk about the activities and resources, well, this is like the stuff we're doing and the stuff we're using to do that with. So when we talk about education, this is one of the aspects we can touch in with. This is one of the things we can engage with to find education. We find education in the activities and the resources that we use. 
Yeah, it's essentially everything you can see and get your hands on anywhere within the school or the system as a whole. We can divide education many, many ways. This is an attempt to divide it in a way that doesn't seem to leave anything out. We have the interior, the exterior, the individual and the collective. And we're very happy to hear if there's an element or a section of the universe that is missing from those groups. But I believe that the quadrants at least attempts to cover all areas in a, in a systemic way. So let's systematically now move down to the lower right. The lower right of education being the exterior of the collective. Education is to be found in our environment and systems. Where is it happening and through what means. So the upper right activities and resources could be seen as like the individual trees in a forest, while the lower right is the forest or the ecosystem of the school itself. In the upper right, we have the individual exterior pieces. In the lower right, we have the collective exterior. We've got the systems, the networks, how everything's connected together. And the lower right represents how the sum of the parts is greater than any individual piece. Here we have the environment and the system. So the environment, we find education in the surroundings or conditions in which a person or community operates. So all of the individual resources in that upper right come together to make some kind of ecosystem. This could include how we organize the space in a school building. So the actual space could be a classroom or the hallways, could include the playground, and it also includes the neighborhood, city, or town around the school. So not limited to only the environment within the school walls itself. But along with the environment, we also have the systems. And a system is an organized scheme or method, the strategies and protocols. It's a set of principles or procedures according to which something is done. This includes how we organize the pieces. This could include our curriculum, our handbooks, school development plans, codes of practice, our technological networks, our IT, the short and long-term plans, and the various pedagogical approaches that inform what we do. Systems are also sets of things working together as parts of a mechanism or an interconnecting network, a complex whole. The process of receiving or giving systematic instruction in school is an expression of something larger than itself. It's not existing in isolation. The school is connected to something larger than itself. For example, the school is connected to the local and national economy, or education is part of the overlapping networks, systems, and structures. Education can also be part of larger governmental or political initiatives, and education can also be an expression of certain societal factors or priorities at that time. It's an expression of something larger than itself. We will shift to the left side of the quadrants that have to do with the interiors of education now. Traditionally, these have either been overlooked or given minimal attention. However, we believe that this is done at our peril. These aspects of school must be included in our concept of education, or else our view of the influencing factors is incomplete, and therefore neither adequate nor useful. Systems, O'Leary, I know you're a big fan of, of understanding the systems, the bigger picture of why things are done and the way that we do things. Yeah, I think more and more schools are edging towards being a little bit more explicit about how we actually do these things. They've always existed, but I think they've been part of a hidden lore of, uh, traditionally within school. Curriculums have not always been written down, and there hasn't always been long and short-term plans 
plans available within schools. These are fairly modern kind of developments. But what what is clear is that just having the pencils and the people and the chairs is not going to get you very far without them. You're also in trouble. But if you just have them and there's no actual protocols, plans and strategies for getting where you want to go, you are not going to serve the community very well. The students won't make the progress that they're looking for. The teachers will be unable to carry out the larger aims of the organization and have a say in it if those aims and strategies to achieve those aims are not clear. I think this is about order. Systems ensure order within an environment, essentially. We've used these two words here to represent this lower right of school and education, environment and systems. The environment, like you can actually go into places on the planet where the education is happening. Like there are schools, there are classrooms, there, you know, there is a physical space you can go to. And that is part of what we're talking about with education. There are also systems. And as you're kind of alluding to, you need a bigger picture to organize what's going on within that environment, within that space. Yeah. And again, as we move more to making those explicit, I think it serves more people within the community. It can make more, it can make people uncomfortable to know that we've actually just pulled the veil back or opened the can of worms and said, actually, this is what's already happening. Let's try and at least be conscious of what's happening in a systemic way. These are the protocols we are following and have been following. Maybe we just never wrote them down before. Maybe we never had a discussion about whether this was the best way to serve our community. And so, yeah, now as we're moving towards having clearer plans, curriculum, they can put us in a box. They can tie us down if we are not smart about how we implement them and how we maintain these systems within the environment. But they are also an opportunity for us to move forward in the ways we want to rather than in a more haphazard fashion. So there's an activity in school called a mind map. And anyone who's not familiar with this technique, essentially you put a word often in the center of a, of a piece of paper and you just write anything that kind of like comes to your mind that's connected to that and you write it around the that word in the center. And I would imagine if we had somebody write the word education in the middle of a piece of paper and just said, write down everything that you connect with education, everything that comes to mind. I'm going to guess that like 90% of people would fill almost that entire page with stuff from these right-hand quadrants. You'd talk about chalkboards. That would be like an upper right type of thing here. That's one of those resources. We'd talk about textbooks or, you know, maybe we get into that lower right of talking about some of these systems like curriculum or or report cards. You know, we might talk again about kind of the activities like different projects that we would do. All these sorts of things. It would be all stuff that you can see. And that's kind of what's important here. These right-hand quadrants somewhere, like you said, you could get your hands on this sort of stuff or at least touch a part of it if it's a larger system or or a larger environment. And that's totally correct. Just like two of the people touching part of an elephant, the thing that they are talking about is correct. But here's where I think our narrative brings something to the table that's maybe missing from a lot of discussions about education, and that's that we're also wanting to include this left-hand side of the quadrants, the interiors. And we want to talk about both the interiors of the individual and the interiors of the collective or the interiors of the group. Um, so this time, Brendan, as as an MC here, I'd love for you to 
to enlighten us on the upper left, the interior of the individual. Yeah. And touching on that point, I will read articles or speak to people who are coming from these left interiors, but also within those articles, maybe they are not talking about those exteriors quite as much. So I think we're aiming for that balance, the coverage of all four. So if we get into the quadrant that is described as the upper left, the interior individual, this would state that education is to be found in our reactions and our personal beliefs, what is happening inside of us and what it means to us. So we'll begin with the interior of the individual in the upper left and look at the aspects of reaction and belief. There are many individual people to be found in education. This could be a student, a teacher, a parent, an administrator. Each of these individuals has their own personal reactions and beliefs inside of them in relationship to the process of receiving or giving the systematic instruction at school. So we look first at reaction. This is something that is done or felt or thought in response to a situation or event. Each individual has their own reaction or experience of what is happening at any given moment. Reactions in relationship to education could include each person's thoughts, feelings, the range of emotions that arise in them, different states of consciousness or levels of attention they experience. And alongside this reaction, there's an individual belief. This is something that the individual person holds to be true. The belief is that the glasses I wear that I see the world through. A personal narrative or story that I help to organize and make sense of what I experience. Each individual comes to their own beliefs, either through scientific facts, personal experience, or what they've heard from others, or just what I want to think is true because it's convenient or makes me feel better. Beliefs could include opinions, identity, motivations, desires, interests, perspectives, and narratives that individuals bring and have an influence on what education is. So Rob, this is the, the fields. We're heading into your area of delight. How would you open up this vista? So if we're looking for where we can find education, you can't deny that part of education is the actual experience that the individuals are having within the giving and receiving of systematic instruction. Every single person in education is having some kind of personal reaction or belief. And although we don't really think of thoughts or feelings as being like on the table or worth considering, I have heard the line like thoughts are things. Thoughts are still a thing, even if you don't see them out in the world around you. But for the person having them, that's a hugely influential guiding factor in what's going on, not only for them as an individual, not only how they're showing up in groups, but also it's really informing and influencing those activities. It's really influencing even how they're engaging with their environment or with, with those systems in the other quadrants. So if we want to talk about where education is to be found, we have to be looking at the actual phenomenon of experience that the individuals are having, because that's what it's being perceived through. And that's how it's being responded to on the individual level. And, you know, we can throw all kinds of other words in here, like, you know, are you going to talk about school and not talk about personal meaning to an individual or like desire or ambition? Like all of these internal things, these experiential things are having an influence and are also a foundational part of any discussion about education. And I think traditionally, this is the area that has been minimized most inside an educational system, um, especially in the, I guess, the security kind of school system. 
particularly where things are more or less set in stone. There's a hierarchy, there's a tradition, and really we're not necessarily asking you to bring too much to the too much of yourself to this. There's a set of steps and if you can do them correctly, great. As we moved more into that um, achievement and ambition kind of paradigm, there was a little bit more, a little bit of a, yeah, there is something out there for you, but it's only one of these very limited choices that we're allowing you, which does open up more and more as you get older and you move into it. A university level where there's a huge range or a vocational level, but elementary school, secondary school, even at the achievement kind of paradigm, not a lot of scope for bringing yourself in. And so this is the one that has started with the inclusion value over maybe the last 20 or 30 years to start creeping in that actually what you say, what you want to do, your own path and your feeling on that is actually really key. And of course it is. But it's really hard to take a system that was designed for social reasons and not necessarily with any real view of that third aim of school of bringing out the the unique skills within a, within an individual and now try and change that system so that it puts that front and center and so without going too far into this this is definitely a place of what you may call culture clash um for those who feel that the traditional system, which was essentially focused on exteriors, was working really well, uh, and those who feel that, no, there's that interior that needs to be brought much more into focus. So that upper left quadrant, that's typically the domain of the I, or the first-person perspective. And on the left-hand side of the quadrants, the same thing happens as what we pointed on the, the right-hand side of the quadrants. On the right-hand side, you've got that upper right, the it. You've got those individual pieces on the upper right, and they kind of form together to create larger systems, networks, environments. They're like pieces of the puzzle. And the same thing happens on this left side of the quadrant. So as we move from that upper left, the I, and we move down to the lower left, into the interior of the collective, we get into this we space. So the lower left, the interior of the collective, Education is to be found in our communities and cultures. Who are we and how do we interact? The interior of the collective is the lower left, the we space, and it looks at aspects of communities and culture. So we aren't just individuals within a school. We are social beings, and just inherently, we belong to certain groups and cultures within a school. And I would say we belong to multiple groups, and we're parts of multiple cultures within a school. Let's first look at the community aspect. Community. Definition is a group of people living in the same place or having a particular characteristic in common. For example, sharing or having certain attitudes or common interests. Now, in this case, we could argue that school is a place where people are, quote, living together, even if they're not sleeping or spending the night there. But they do have a particular characteristic in common and a common interest within school. So when looking at community, there are various overlapping groups and communities within education. There are various stakeholders to be found in the process of giving and receiving systematic instruction at school. There are a wide variety of relationships between these stakeholders. So the various communities could include, but are certainly not limited to, students, teachers, parents, the administrative body, the local community around the school. And each of these communities has some kind of relationship with each other, strong or weak, familiar or unfamiliar. Now, within each community, there are various sub-communities. So, for example, with students, 
You could have the student community of an entire school as one community, but that could be further subdivided into each grade level within the school because the grade two community is likely dramatically different than the grade eight community within that same school community of students. And further, you'd find different social groups or communities within each of those classes, depending on what shared attitudes or common interests you were looking at. And attitudes being a settled way of thinking or feeling about something, we find various communities within the communities of education. Communities in some ways are fractal because there are multiple looping communities within other communities. Now, the second aspect of this lower left, this we space, is culture. The ideas, customs, and social behavior of a particular people or society. The author Seth Godin, he defined culture in a way that I really like, where he said, people like us do things like this. People like us do things like this. Culture is a challenging thing to actually see because it exists largely within the interior of the group. It's just the way things are and how we do things. When someone goes against the ideas, customs, or social behavior, those actions stand out to those within the culture. However, an outsider looking in might be shocked to see what the others consider as normal, or abnormal for that matter. A culture could include our shared ideas, customs, traditions, formalities, our code words, our shared values, an ethos, or expectations for social behavior and agreements. All of these can either be explicitly stated or more often just unspoken. So these are the four quadrants, each highlighting some kind of vital aspect of education that must be taken into consideration to talk about this topic holistically. If we don't include all of these aspects when discussing education, whichever one we don't discuss creates some kind of blind spot. Because whether or not we choose to address this quadrant or this aspect of school, it is still having some kind of influence on what education is. So Brennan, the lower left, the we space, the communities and cultures, this is also one of those spots where we can find education. Yeah. And I think through our discussions over the last year, I've kind of come to the conclusion this is more or less the place to start. You can start in any of the, the four quadrants, but this is the this is absolute key because it's the thing you might not see until you're actually in the place and you actually become acclimatized and you may never see it. You may never be aware of your own culture or the culture of the school and until until it starts to produce stresses in you as an individual and you feel actually there are things going on here that I'm not necessarily in agreement with. Alternatively, it is the place where you can feel most at home. You walk into a place and within hours, days, you're like, this is it. This is the place I should have been all this time. We're on the same wavelength. We, we've got the same aims. But generally, it is not explicit. Generally, it is something you have to go out of your way to, ta- to kind of read the signs. And yeah, ignore it at your peril. Culture eats strategy. That's one of my fa- one of the favorite lines I've read over the last few years. And it is absolutely true. We can go in with that lower right or that upper right, the best activities, the best strategies. And the best intentions in the upper and The left. best intentions in the upper left but it will be it will be chewed to pieces by that lower left if it is not in alignment with what we think um and i would say that you could make the same case for any of the quadrants but i think it's especially vivid when it happens in that lower left because you can show up with some new kind of activity 
in that upper right. You can show up with some kind of new resource and new way you want to do things, but if it doesn't match your lower right system, or it's not a fit for your environment, or it's not a match for your lower left culture and community that's already there, or just in the upper left, the individuals don't buy into it, it's also not going to take on. And the same can be said for any of those quadrants in the lower right as well. If those new systems or new way of organizing the environment isn't a match for the activities in the upper right, it's not a match for the community, and people don't buy in, then it's also going to fall apart. And you can have your own beliefs about something. And again, that culture can chew it up. There might be no space for it in the lower right of the systems, and there might be no place for it in the activities or with the resources that are given. So each of these quadrants are highly entwined with one another, and you avoid one at your peril, at the, ris- at the risk of sounding dramatic. Essentially, if you've got a blind spot to one of these, I can almost guarantee you that's the quadrant that's going to take down whatever it is you are trying to do. Yeah, I think just briefly going back to the, the lower left, it, school essentially emerged for social functions. And we it can be argued that we're moving away from that to serving the individual as well as this culture. But I think anyone that's worked in any kind of organization can think of multiple multiple strategies and ideas that have come in that have just not taken hold or held because of that culture. What I'd like to jump in there is the word blind spot that you've used a couple of times. Now, I know I know in your work as an integral coach, this idea is key. I don't, uh, I don't know if there's anything here particularly to go into, but maybe if you could take a minute or two to jump into this idea of blind spots, because I think it it, it is a key idea to our organizations moving forward. Yeah, I think our podcast is attempting to point out all the blind spots. So there's a pretty close connection here to the way we use blind spots when you're in your car. If you're on a huge freeway, multi-lane road, and you're driving along and you want to switch lanes, you not only check your mirrors, you check your blind spot as well, because your mirrors can show you everything that the mirrors can show you, but it's only when you turn your head and look over your shoulder that you can see what's in your blind spot. And whether or not you see what's in your blind spot when you're on the highway, it's still friggin' affecting your commute or your desire to change lanes or to stay in the lane that you're in. So a blind spot is essentially something that's there, but you're not paying attention to, or you're unaware to even notice it in the first place. And typically, we kind of approach topics, conceptualizing them, problem solving them through some of these quadrants. And it's not that you have to learn them. We do these by default. But the thing is, when you don't include some of the quadrants in your analysis or you're thinking of something, when they're not included, they create some kind of blind spot. So for example, you know, I typically do this a lot. The lower left is often a blind spot for me, tapping into the shared values, tapping into that sense of community and culture. Well, if I don't do that, but I've got the other three quadrants locked down and like ready and, you know, for some new plan or something I want to do, and I haven't taken into consideration the influence that the lower left is going to have on it, that's my blind spot. And as soon as I try to bring it in and the rubber meets the road, using a lot of vehicle analogies here, but as soon as like that thing is actually implemented or brought forth, 
in real time, the lower left is going, the culture, the community, they are going to start engaging with it. And I could not have foreseen how this will actually play out. And I'll go, ah, oh yeah, I hadn't really tuned into that this staff or this group of students or those three students within the class will respond in this sort of way. So one way to think about blind spots, and it's not only applicable to quadrants here, blind spots can be in many different domains, but one way that blind spots impact you is these four quadrants are having an influence on what's arising in the moment anyways. So it's just a matter of being present with what is by having these four quadrants on your radar. Another way I've heard it described is the unknown unknowns. There are the things that you're not even aware that are out there. And I think without dis- without going too far into the weeds, Paolo Friari with his Pedagogy of the Oppressed, one of, one of the models, potentially earliest models for development, uh, for integration or integrative education where he would he would go into a community and, and read the culture and spend months collecting ideas that the culture was not able to voice and then take those back to the culture and say this is what i'm observing what are your thoughts on that and and these would be the sticking points of where you would go forward so being aware of our values the aims of school, the quadrants, and using these analytical tools to look at the places we work with the aim of moving us forward to a more integrative integration type of school. That is kind of the big aim that we are hoping to do for ourselves and for and, and in discussion with the listeners of the podcast. Yeah, and I think this is the yeah, there is a lot of blind spots when we discuss education. And what we're attempting to do is to provide this map to help navigate through what education is. Do you want to leave Part it there? Because the this is already quite a lengthy. Sure. That might be enough. So maybe if we wrap wrap this up now, maybe a couple of jokes. Sure. You got anything? Yeah. My dad convinced me that I should donate my organs should I pass away. He's a man after my own heart. Mm. My dog's got no nose. How does he smell? <laughs> Wrap it up, Mac. All right. So this is like the ultimate cliffhanger now, Brendan. We're going to leave our talk here having now pointed out that there's all these dangerous disaster causing blind spots that we have when we talk about education but in our next episode we're finally going to put all of these pieces together the aims of school the values and these quadrants to talk about how the different values influence the quadrants how the quadrants influence the aims of school how all of these pieces are kind of intertwined connected together and essentially like a living organism that we call education. And hopefully with this kind of way to present thinking about education, this kind of perspective on it, we can access new territory that we're currently not in our discussions about education. We're trying to eliminate the blind spots, make more of it conscious so that we can just have more effective conversations about education. Nailed it. Bam. Thanks, Brendan. Thanks, Rob. Thanks for listening. If this was useful or insightful, feel free to connect with us. We have a private Facebook group. Request to join and we'll let you in. We tweet reasonably interesting stuff on Twitter. 
and we animate portions of our podcast on YouTube. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube by searching Reinventing Education Podcast. We appreciate you liking, reviewing, or sharing our stuff online, but we're just as happy if you talk about the ideas you've heard here with friends or colleagues in person. From Brennan and myself, attention is a valuable thing these days. Thanks for having some of your attention on what we're saying. There'll be some some Nirvana fans who are thrilled by that. Maybe actually you could switch all of those to I. Like, this belief is like the glasses I wear, because that's actually hitting the pronoun. It's sort of, what's the word I'm looking for here, Brennan? I'm trying to ad-lib here, but it's the, uh, what's that mathematical thing that keeps? Fractal. It's a Mandelbrot set. It's a Mandelbrot set. So to so the most complex perspective you could take. No, it's I'm not trying to get more complicated here. What I'm trying to say, they're arising anyways. Listen, here's here's what I have noticed. Your your endings. I I try to read into them whether this is, Oliver, you've just ruined that. Like thanks, Brennan, or 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 I'm ready for a nice glass of orange. Thanks, Brendan. Like. Let's do let's do a couple. Let's do hmm. let's do. Um, uh, O'Leary, you just ruined that. I'm not I'm not happy with how, how that went. It, it is unsalvageable. But you want me to what? say that through my thanks, Brendan. Through your thanks, Brendan. Yeah. Thanks, Brendan. That's pretty much how you do all of them. <laughs> all right. How about that was that was spot on. That these guys are going to love this. Thanks, Brendan. Okay, how about a sarcastic, like, you know, this this is a bullshit ending, uh, like, Jesus, I wish we could just press stop and not have to do this ending bit. Thanks, Brennan. <laughs> That's the best one. That's the keeper. <laughs> Thanks, Rob. <laughs> See you on the other side. <laughs> Two dollars for the talkies. Two cents. Two cents for the talkies. <laughs> Hey, see, see, you dirty rat. All right, it's all staining. It's all staining the movie. All right. All right. <coughs> yeah, you should actually leave that part at the end. That'd be good. Yeah, we'll just do a blooper reel. All right, I'm going to press stop here. 56 minutes in. Yeah, that's a full on. And the insecticide, insecticide used on the school lawn. The insecticide used on the school lawn. Incesticide being the um, 1992 Nirvana, Nirvana 1992 release. 1992 Nirvana B-Sides LP. Mm-hmm. This may not make the cut. This may not make the cut. If it does, though. <laughs>